This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Becoming People of Integrity. In the first half, Shane M. Bowen shares his address, I Can Sleep When the Wind Blows. Then in the second half, Tad R. Collister speaks on Becoming Men and Women of Integrity. My dear brothers and sisters, it is indeed an honor to be able to meet with you in this beautiful facility on this gorgeous campus. I feel like Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind when she says that she draws her strength from Tara. I feel strengthened and revitalized each time I drive onto this campus. My wife and I have so many wonderful memories of Provo, Utah and Brigham Young University. Sister Bowen and I both graduated from this marvelous institution. She in elementary education with a minor in music and I in English with a minor in Spanish. I proposed to Sister Bowen on the stairs of the lower campus fall semester of 1976. It was near the Carl G. Mazur building. I know the very spot. Our first child, Liesel, was born in the Provo Hospital in 1977. Sister Bowen picked me up in front of the administration building as we rushed to the hospital. I was so excited and so nervous. What a responsibility. I was going to be a daddy. We now have seven children and 23 grandchildren. We have been married 42 years, yet somehow I still feel I'm 23. To quote Jacob, The time passed away with us, and also our lives passed away, like as it were unto us a dream. We have found and continue to find peace, joy, and happiness through our family. I witness that the plan of happiness presented to us by our Father in Heaven has not changed, that the sealing of a man to a woman in the house of the Lord is essential for us to obtain the highest degree of the celestial kingdom and ultimately become like our Father in Heaven, and that the commandment to multiply and replenish the earth has never been revoked. True happiness is found as we strive to become an eternal family. Some members of the Church remain single through no fault of their own. Even though they want to marry, those who remain worthy will someday in this life or in the next be given all of the blessings of an eternal family relationship. The Lord has made this promise repeatedly through His Latter-day Prophets. As I begin, let me share with you one of my favorite stories. Many years ago, the Old Country Fair in parts of England was, besides being the place of exhibition for farm products, the place where employer and employee met. Farmer Smith wanted a boy to work on his farm. He was interviewing some candidates when a thoughtful-looking lad of about 16 attracted his attention. The gruff old agriculturist asked the boy, What can you do? The boy swung back at him in the same style. I can sleep when the wind blows. Even though the farmer didn't particularly like the teenager's answer, there was something about his gray eyes that got under the farmer's skin. He asked the lad the same question. What did you say you would do? Again, the answer bounced back. I can sleep when the wind blows. Farmer Smith was still disgusted and with and confused by the answer and he went to other parts of the fair to look into the faces of other young men who might want a job on his farm. But there was something about that answer that stuck to him like glue. First thing he knew, his feet were carrying him back to meet the steady, 
gaze of those deliberate eyes on the boy with such a strange way of speaking. What did you say you could do, he thundered for the third time. For the third time, he got the same answer. I can sleep when the wind blows. Get in my wagon. We'll try you out. One night, several weeks later, Farmer Smith awoke about two in the morning to what sounded like a cyclone. It seemed that gusts from the north had developed with such intensity that they threatened the roof over his head. The trees cracked. The noises outside electrified the nervous system. The speed with which he jumped into his trousers was outdone only by the lightning that split the darkness outside. With shoes half-laced, he rushed out into the farmyard to see if anything on the premises was still intact, and he knew he would need the services of the new hired boy. He called up the stairs to the attic where the boy slept, but the response was the healthy breathing of a sleeping lad. He went halfway up the stairs and thundered again, but only a snore echoed back. In his excitement, he went to the boy's bed and did everything to wake the youth but tear the bedclothes from him. The lad slept on. With a mixture of desperation and disgust, he faced the gale and plunged alone out into the farmyard. He first approached the cow barn. Lo and behold, the milk producers were peacefully chewing their cud, and inside their abode they were all snug as a mouse under a haystack. It didn't take him long to discover how the boy had chinked up the cracks of the cow barn and reinforced the locks and hinges. In the pig pen, he discovered the same tranquility, even though the wind howled on. He turned to the haystack. As he groped in the darkness, it didn't take him long to discover again the preparation of the lad with the gray, steady eyes. Every few feet on that feed stack, he had placed and weighted wires on each side. With this protecting construction, the alfalfa was peacefully under control, laughing at the elements. The farmer was stunned by the revelations that had come to him in a few short minutes on the night of that cyclone. He dropped his head. His mental maneuver shot like lightning to the boy snoring in the attic. Again, the peculiar answer of a few weeks ago slapped him in the face. I can sleep when the wind blows. Brothers and sisters, this young man displays what to me personifies character, honor, and integrity. He summarized what he was in seven simple words. I can sleep when the wind blows. Without being flashy, he knew exactly who he was. And when the test came, He didn't need to question what he would do. He had already made the decision in his life. Regardless of the circumstances, he would be prepared. His word was his bond. I want to talk to you today about what it means to be able to sleep when the wind blows. I want to talk to you about being the best you and living your lives with character, honor, and integrity. The very fact that you are attending this university is evidence to me that you are extremely intelligent. The requirements to attend Brigham Young University are set at a high bar. However, be very careful. Intelligence without character, honor, and integrity can be very dangerous. In all of your dealings with others, decide today to do the right thing for the right reason. If you wait until the moment of necessity to make that life-changing decision, you will often make the wrong choice. Prepare in times of peace, and you will be prepared for the heat of the battle. 
In those intense moments, you will act instinctively because that is who you are. Harry Potter's Dumbledore said, It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Another saying teaches, Respect and goodwill are earned by many fine performances and lost by one bad act. Let me give you a couple of simple examples of choices that display character, honor, and integrity. This university is not your normal university. Each student who attends here has signed the honor code. That means each one has exercised his or her agency and committed to uphold the standards of that honor code. There are literally thousands of worthy, prepared, and bright young people worldwide who would love more than anything in this world to be sitting in the chairs you are sitting in today. I remember my freshman year here at BYU. I thought that everyone thought the same way I did. I knew exactly what I was getting into when I chose to come here to school. I was looking for an atmosphere of learning, both secular as well as religious, that would help me to be a better person and help in my mission preparations and my life preparations. I was not disappointed. I found all of that. But what did surprise me were students who seemed not to value the honor code they had signed. I found myself wondering why anyone would willfully sign an honor code just to break it. If they never had intentions to honor it in the first place, why would they choose this place? Why would they so willingly sacrifice their character, honor, and integrity? If they were looking for a party school, they certainly should not have chosen Brigham Young University. (laughs) Even in my time, it was considered one of the soberest schools in the world. I began to feel that this obvious disconnect of saying one thing and doing another was disappointing. I realized it showed a glaring lack of character, honor, and integrity. It made me think of the truths found in Ecclesiastes 5, 4, and 5. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Keeping the honor code is a perfect example of character, honor, and integrity. You committed and now must keep your word. Even when no one is looking, you must do so because you said you would. Another unique feature of this university is that your tuition is heavily subsidized by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Those funds come from faithful members who pay their tithes and offerings of their own free will and choice, with the expectation that the funds will be used for righteous purposes by people who are honorable and have character and integrity. In this case, that would be you. We are talking about funds that have been given by the single mother of six children in in Bolivia or the Philippines or anywhere else in the world. In your comportment, in your study habits, in your faithfulness to God, do you have any obligation to your benefactors, your contributors? I think so. I call that obligation developing character, honor, and integrity. These three attributes require self-discipline. I really like a quote from Thomas H. Huxley, who observed, Perhaps the most valuable result of all education is the ability to make yourself do the thing you have to do when it ought to be done, whether you like it or not. 
It is the first lesson that ought to be learned, and however early a man's training begins, it is probably the last lesson that he learns thoroughly." This says to me that making the right decisions is not always convenient, easy, or natural. Developing the three Christ-like attributes we are discussing require hard work, discipline, and determination. All are processes that the natural man dislikes and rebels against. Also, Huxley's words seem to me to hint at the same kind of character testing God described when the plan of happiness was introduced. He explained, And we will prove them herewith to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. Many times as we go through life, we lose track of who we are and the magnificent potential we have within ourselves. We spend our lives looking for happiness just around the next corner, buying things we can't afford, trying to impress people we will never see again. Sometimes we allow pride to be our guide when serving others should be our daily focus. Often we try to shape our lives and our bodies to meet the expectations of others and to impress the world, which is impossible to impress because it is ever-changing. Sometimes in this madness we forget what really matters. I have a favorite story by Jules Fiefer that makes this point well. It is called Be Yourself. Ever since I was a little kid, I didn't want to be me. I wanted to be Billy Whittleton, and Billy Whittleton didn't even like me. I walked like he walked. I talked like he talked. I signed up for the high school he signed up for, which was when Whittleton changed. He began to hang around with Herbie Vandeman. He mixed me up. I began to walk and talk like Billy Whittleton, walking and talking like Herbie Vandeman. And then it dawned on me that Herbie Vandeman walked and talked like Joy Haverlin. And Joy Haverlin walked and talked like Corky Sabison. So here I am, walking and talking like Billy Whittleton's imitation of Herbie Vandeman's version of Joy Haverlin, trying to walk and talk like Corky Sabison. And who do you think Corky Sabison is always walking and talking like? Of all people, Dopey Wellington, that little pest who walks and talks like me. <laughs> My dear brothers and sisters, you are sons and daughters of God. You have within you the ability to become like Him and receive all that your Father has. Your Father in heaven knows you. He loves you. He created you. He wants to help you. He wants you to reach your full potential, whatever that may be. He wants you to be your best, the best you, and He will help you find and become that person. I can promise you that all who develop in this earthly existence character, honor, and integrity and receive and keep all of the covenants God has made available to His children will inherit eternal life. This is our goal. It is also the great test of this life. Speaking of character, I think of the words of Rudyard Kipling in his wonderful poem entitled If, written to his son. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating, 
and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss, if you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, Hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. This poem personifies character for me. Speaking of honor, Carl G. Mazur once wrote, I have been asked what I mean by word of honor. I will tell you. Place me behind prison walls, walls of stone ever so high, ever so thick, reaching ever so far into the ground. There is a possibility that in some way or another I might be able to escape. But stand me on that floor and draw a chalk line around me and have me give my word of honor never to cross it. Can I get out of that circle? No, never. I'd die first. Close quote. I believe that integrity is the product of such character and honor. The prophet Job said, Till I die, I will not remove mine integrity from me. I believe we show our character, honor, and integrity by the way we treat each other. We never take advantage of the weaknesses of another person. We show integrity when we do what we say and when we act with kindness, treating others as the Savior would. The Savior said, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Ghost will help you. You know what is right and wrong. Since I was eight years old, there has never been a time when I didn't know right from wrong. I haven't always had the moral courage to choose the right, but it wasn't because I didn't know. The vast majority of you, like me, have been blessed by baptism and confirmation in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with the right to receive the Holy Ghost if you desire. I hope you realize that receiving the Holy Ghost is not an event but a lifelong process. You have the agency to invite Him into your life every day or not. Remember that your actions, thoughts, and words will determine if He will be invited to teach you the truth of all things. He is the perfect gentleman. He comes only when invited. So listen to the still, small voice of the Holy Ghost. He will guide you and direct you. He is the testifier of the Father and the Son. Consider the words of Samuel the Lamanite. And now remember, remember, my brethren, that whosoever perisheth, perisheth unto himself, 
and whosoever doeth iniquity doeth it unto himself. For behold, ye are free, ye are permitted to act for yourselves. For behold, God hath given unto you a knowledge, and he hath made you free. He hath given unto you that ye might know good from evil, and he hath given unto you that ye might choose life or death. And ye can do good and be restored unto that which is good, or have that which is good restored unto you. Or ye can do evil and have that which is evil restored unto you. I have created a short list of reminders I have gleaned from others throughout my life that will help you keep your character, honor, and integrity as you move forward out of this university to conquer the world. Here are Elder Bowen's things to remember as you conquer the world. Moses gave us the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. Habits, good or bad, are first like cobwebs, then like chains. There is no right way to do a wrong thing. Don't be a legend in your own mind. Don't be a self-made man who worships his Creator. I'll let you think about that one. Be kind. Everyone is fighting a hard battle. Everyone is special, but no one is special. Even Moses said, after seeing the creations of God, Now for this cause I know that man is nothing, which thing I never had supposed. It's not hard to make decisions when you know what your values are. If you always tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. Honesty is the only policy. Don't pray on your knees on Sunday and pray on your neighbor the rest of the week. Quality is not an act. It is a habit. My brothers and sisters, ye are free to act for yourselves. I close with William Ernest Henley's Invictus, a poem that underscores the importance of personal responsibility and accountability. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. My dear brothers and sisters, I pray that your determined course in this life will always be guided by your Father in heaven through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Ghost. I pray that you will always develop and retain at any cost the attributes and ideals we have discussed today. And now, returning to our unassuming farm boy, I pray that whatever storms come into your life, and I promise they will come, that you can be a person of character, honor, and integrity. And most of all, I pray that you can sleep when the wind blows. I witness that God lives, that His Son Jesus Christ is our Savior and Redeemer, that the Holy Ghost testifies of the Father and the Son, and He will teach you the truth of all things if you so desire and so live. The Father's plan of happiness has been restored in these the latter days through the Prophet Joseph Smith. 
the Book of Mormon is tangible proof of that restoration. Jesus Christ leads His Church today through His living prophets. I have come to know these things for myself and testify that you can know them too. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Becoming People of Integrity. We've just heard from Shane M. Bowen. After the break, we'll return with Tad R. Collister for Becoming Men and Women of Integrity. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Becoming People of Integrity. Next is Tad R. Collister, a member of the Presidency of the Seventy of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the time of this address, titled Becoming Men and Women of Integrity. It's good to be with you today. Uh, This is my alma mater and my wife's as well, and the place where I found uh, my beloved wife, and a place that has a a treasure trove of happy memories for me. First, I'd like to pay tribute to President and Sister Samuelson, who have served with such distinction and devotion, and they certainly command all of our highest respect. Now, Today, I'd like to speak about becoming men and women of integrity. It is this attribute that often defines the greatness of a man or woman. Names such as George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, William Wilberforce, and John and Abigail Adams are revered as icons of integrity. These icons are like spiritual magnets. Every time we read about their lives, we are drawn to their higher way. What then is this integrity that is such a dominating force in determining greatness? Integrity is a purity of mind and heart that knows no deception, no excuses, no rationalization, nor any coloring of the facts. It is an absolute honesty with oneself, with God, and with our fellow men. Even if God blinked or looked the other way for a moment, it would be choosing the right, not merely because God desires it, but because our character demands it. Integrity is the very core of our being. It is who we really are. When all the scaffolding is removed, it is our integrity that both defines us and identifies us. Men of integrity are like the rock of Gibraltar, steadfast and immovable. Men without it are like the shifting sands on the Sahara Desert, tossed to and fro by every variant wind of life. Many years ago, Sterling W. Sill was driving down a road. He became thirsty, so he pulled into a gas station. He put a dime in the soda pop machine and pulled out a bottle, but his dime was returned. He took the dime, looked at it, put it in his pocket, and said, They charge too much for this stuff anyway. He didn't get very far before the still small voice said, Sterling, are you really going to be a thief for a dime? Of course not, he said. The price is not nearly enough. He then returned the dime to the gas station attendant. This story only speaks of small sums, but it teaches of great principles. Each of us might appropriately ask, does our integrity, our honor have a purchase price, a dime, a thousand dollars, the approval of our peers, some physical pleasure or temporary recognition? Is there some point at which our integrity can be purchased, or is it priceless? not for sale at any price. 
On one occasion, I read the classic play, A Man for All Seasons. It is the story of Sir Thomas More. He had distinguished himself as a scholar, a lawyer, an ambassador, and finally, as Lord Chancellor of England. He was a man of absolute integrity. The play opens with these words of Sir Richard Rich. Every man has his price. In money, too, or pleasure, titles, women, bricks, and mortar, there is always something. That is the theme of the play. It is also the theme of life. Is there a man or woman in this world who cannot be bought, whose integrity is beyond price? As the play unfolds, King Henry VIII desires to divorce Queen Catherine and Mary Anne Boleyn. But there is the catch. Divorce was forbidden by the Catholic Church. And so King Henry VIII, not to be thwarted in his desires, demanded of his subjects the taking of an oath that would support him in his divorce. But there was a further problem. Sir Thomas More, who was loved and admired by the common people, was a holdout. His conscience would not let him sign the oath. He was unwilling to submit even at the king's personal request. Then came the tests. His friends applied their personal charm and pressure, but he would not yield. He was stripped of his wealth, his position, and his family, but he would not sign. Finally, he was falsely tried for his life, but still he would not succumb. They had taken from him his money, his political power, his friends, his family, and they would yet take his life. But they could not take from him his integrity. It was not for sale at any price. At the climax of the play, Sir Thomas More is being falsely tried for treason. Sir Richard Rich commits the perjury necessary to convict him. As Sir Thomas exits the courtroom, he approaches Rich and says, That is a chain of office you are wearing. What is it? The judge replied, Sir Richard Rich is appointed Attorney General for Wales. More then looks into Rich's face with great disdain and retorts, For Wales? It profits a man nothing to give his own soul for the whole world, but for Wales? In the life to come, no doubt, many will look back amidst uncontrollable sobs and repeat again and again, Why did I trade my soul for Wales or temporary physical pleasure or fame or a grade or the approval of my friends? Why did I sell my integrity? for a price. For a few moments, I would like to address seven principles of integrity that I hope will inspire us to make this Christ-like attribute a fundamental character in our personal lives. First, integrity is the foundation of our character and all other virtues. In 1853, the Saints commenced the construction of the Salt Lake Temple. For the better part of seven long, hard years, the saints dug the excavations and laid the foundation over eight feet deep, all made of sandstone. One day the foreman came to Brigham Young with this devastating news. There were cracks in the blocks of sandstone. Brigham Young was faced with this dilemma. Do the best they could to patch up the cracks and build a temple of much less weight and grandeur than anticipated, or rip out seven years of work? and repair it with a granite foundation that could support the magnificent temple God envisioned for them. Fortunately, Brigham Young chose the latter course. Integrity is the foundation upon which character and a Christ-like life are built. If there are cracks in that foundation, then it will not support the weight of other Christ-like attributes that must be built upon it. 
For example, how can we be humble if we lack the integrity to acknowledge our own weaknesses? How can we develop charity for others if we are not totally honest in our dealings with them? How can we repent and be clean if we only partially disclose the truth to our bishop? At the root of every virtue is integrity. C.S. Lewis noticed that once we make a mistake in a mathematical equation, we cannot just keep on going. His exact words are as follows. When I have started to sum the wrong way, the sooner I admit this and go back and start over again, the faster I shall get on. Likewise, we cannot continue to fully acquire other Christ-like virtues until we first make integrity the granite foundation of our lives. In some cases, it may require us to go through the painful process of ripping out an existing foundation built upon deceit and replacing it stone by stone with the foundation of integrity, but it can be done. Shakespeare understood the inseparability of our integrity and all of the Christ-like virtues. Quote, Mine honor is my life. Both grow in one. Take honor from me, and my life is done. End quote. Second, integrity is not doing just that which is legal, but that which is moral or Christ-like. It may be legal to have premarital relationships. It may be legal to commit adultery. It may be legal to gossip. But none of those actions is moral or Christ-like. Integrity is not just adherence to the legal code, but to the higher moral code. It is, as Abraham Lincoln suggested, living in accord with the better angels of our nature. Every young man on this campus has the moral duty to protect and preserve the virtue of his date, and every young woman has the reciprocal moral duty for her date. It is a test of his or her integrity. The man and woman who are striving for integrity will develop a resolve and discipline that transcend even the powerful passions of physical emotions. It is that integrity to God and to self and to others that sustains them and empowers them, even when Satan unleashes his arsenal of moral temptations upon them. As to this generation, the Lord said, I will raise up unto myself a pure people. God is counting on you to be that generation. Some years ago, my business partner and I needed to terminate an employee. After some discussions, we reached a settlement to compensate him for his past services. I felt the settlement was more than fair, but nonetheless there were some strained relationships as a result of the negotiations. That night I felt a gloom come over me. I tried to dispel it by reasoning within myself that I had been fair, but the feeling would not leave. Then this impression came. It is not enough to be fair. You must also strive to be Christ-like. Adherence to the highest moral code is a hallmark of a man and woman of integrity. Third, integrity makes decisions based on eternal implications. One of the young women in our ward was taking a test at the local high school. As she looked up, she saw one of her friends cheating. Their eyes made contact. Embarrassed, the friend shrugged her shoulders and mouthed the words, I need the grade. Somehow this young lady lost her eternal vision. It is not grades but godhood that is our destination. What good does it do to be accepted to the most prestigious university but forfeit our exaltation in the process?
Every time someone cheats, he trades his spiritual birthright for a mess of pottage. In his short-sightedness, he has opted for a dollar today rather than infinite wealth in the life to come. In loving kindness, the Lord gave us this warning, quote, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The man of the world has his heart focused upon his temporal net worth. The man of integrity has his heart focused upon his spiritual net worth. No doubt there will be a lot of millionaires, even billionaires, who in the life to come will find themselves spiritually bankrupt, and a lot of goodly saints who with meager net worths will become spiritual billionaires, discovering that integrity has been the wisest investment of all. Those with integrity have that eternal foresight. A disappointed father once told me that his teenage daughter wanted to live it up and then three months before her intended marriage, she would clean up her act so that she could receive a temple recommend. I do not know of any stake president who would give a recommend under such circumstances, but even if it were given, it would be a curse, not a blessing. Integrity is not short-sighted. It is not just a temporary change of behavior. It is a permanent change of nature. When I first entered the field as a mission president, I met several times with a missionary who was struggling with obedience. One day, in frustration, he blurted out, What then do you want me to do? I replied, You've missed the point. It's not what I want you to do. It should be, What do you want to do? There was a moment of silence, and then he made this insightful observation. You are not just asking me to change my behavior. You are asking me to change my nature. He was so right. If someone only changes his behavior while a missionary, then when he goes home, he will be the very same person he was when he left, subject to the same problems that plagued him before. But if someone changes his nature, he will go home a new man with the power and discipline to conquer his old Goliath. If someone is only moral because his date insists on it, then he's only changed his behavior, and he will be equally susceptible when each new temptation confronts him. But if he is moral, whether or not his date so insists, he has changed his nature. Then he will have an increased resistance when similar temptations come. If someone speaks good words but entertains bad thoughts, he's only changed his behavior. If he also changes his thoughts, then he will also change his nature. Our natures have changed when our inner motives and thoughts are consistent with our outward behavior. With the Lord's help, we can transform our natures. King Benjamin has told us how we might change our natures from a natural man to a spiritual man. Quote, For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man, and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord, and becometh as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a child to submit to his Father. Changing our natures, not just our behaviors, is facilitated by an eternal perspective 
that we are the children of God, that we do have His spark of divinity within us, and that through the Atonement we can become like Him, the perfect model of integrity. My grandfather used to say to my grandmother, What do you think we will be doing 30 million years from now? Men and women of integrity make their decisions based on eternal implications and consequences, not what is expedient, but what is right in the eternities. Fourth, integrity is disclosing the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I believe the Lord can live with our weaknesses and mistakes, provided there is a desire and effort to repent. That is what the Atonement is all about. But I do not believe that He can easily tolerate a deceitful heart or lying tongue. A few years ago, I conducted a mission tour. Some of the missionaries were struggling with obedience. That evening, the mission president and I conducted interviews with some of the missionaries. The next morning, the mission president commenced our zone conference by giving a masterful talk on integrity. I felt impressed to further speak on that subject. We observed that in a few moments we would be conducting additional interviews. We requested that the missionaries not play the game, where someone only discloses the truth if he's asked the perfect, pointed question. If they were men of integrity, they might say, President, I don't need any questions. I've made some mistakes. I want to voluntarily disclose them. I want to be 100 percent honest. Well, you know what happened? The Spirit was there. Four missionaries from the night before privately stepped forward and said, We have something else to disclose. One of them said, I want to be an honest man. That day he changed his foundation of sand for a granite foundation of integrity. The question is often asked, When should we confess our sins? When the sin is of such a serious nature that it might warrant a disciplinary action or it continues to linger in our minds so we cannot find peace. If we then fail to confess, our spiritual horizons become limited. It is like being surrounded by a circular, impenetrable wall. In such a circumstance, we have some limited room in which to move, but we are trapped. We will look in vain for a slit through which we can squeeze, an opening through which we can escape, an end around which we can travel. There are no end runs, no secret openings, no hidden passages. Years of service do not obviate confession. Years of abstinence do not erase its need. One-on-one -on -one pleading with the Lord is not a substitute. Somewhere, sometime, somehow, we must face the wall square up and climb it. That is confession. That is a total integrity, disclosing the whole truth and nothing but the truth. When we do this, our spiritual horizons become unlimited. Fifth, integrity knows no alibis or excuses. There is something ennobling about the man or woman who admits his weaknesses or takes the blame square on without excuse or alibi. On multiple occasions, Joseph Smith recorded his weaknesses in the Doctrine and Covenants for all to read. What does this tell us? It tells us he was not perfect. But it also tells us he had nothing to hide. He was a man of integrity. What does this do for his credibility when he tells the story of the first vision or the account of Moroni's visitation? It tells us that we can trust him, that we can believe his every word, because he is indeed a man of integrity. 
As to George Miller, the Lord said, He may be trusted because of the integrity of his heart. And so it is with Joseph Smith, and so it can be with us. Sixth, integrity is keeping our covenants and our commitments even in times of inconvenience. Integrity is the courage to do right regardless of the consequence and regardless of the inconvenience. President Tanner told of the following experience. A young man came to me not long ago and said, I made an agreement with a man that requires me to make certain payments each year. I am in debt and I can't make those payments, for if I do, it is going to cause me to lose my home. What shall I do? I looked at him, President Tanner said, and I said, keep your agreement. Even if it costs me my home, I said, I'm not talking about your home. I'm talking about your agreement. And I think your wife would rather have a husband who would keep his word and have to rent a home than to have a home with a husband who will not keep his covenants and his pledge. He had a difficult choice, his home or his integrity. A man of integrity does not yield or succumb merely because it's hard or expensive or inconvenient. In this respect, the Lord has a perfect sense of integrity. He said, Who am I that have promised and have not fulfilled? For a number of years, I represented a retired attorney named Larry Bielenson. He was one of the most brilliant men I'd ever met, a Harvard graduate in the true tradition. He also was a man of exacting integrity, a refreshing combination of traits. For years, he served as the personal attorney for Ronald Reagan when he was in the entertainment field. Later, he served as one of his political advisors. It was about three days before the end of the year. Mr. Bielenson was negotiating the purchase of a large supply of equipment. It would give him a tax write-off and a good return on his investment. But he needed to conclude the transaction before December 31st. The other party called back to say that there was simply not enough time to draft and prepare the necessary documents before your end. I will never forget the instructions that Mr. Bielenson then gave me. Tell them that they have my word. It is better than a written contract. And then he added almost parenthetically, If I were bound only to a written contract, I might find a loophole. But there are no loopholes in my word. One of the acid tests of our integrity is whether or not we keep the commitments and promises we have made or whether there are loopholes in our word. We might appropriately ask, do we live the honor code with exactness, or are there loopholes in our word, cracks in our foundation of integrity? Do we honor our commitments as home teachers and visiting teachers, or are there loopholes in our performance? In other words, is our word our bond? Seventh and lastly, Integrity is not governed by the presence of others. It is internally, not externally, driven. Elder Marion D. Hanks tells of the man and his small son who stopped at an isolated cornfield on a remote country road and eyed the delicious corn beyond the fence. The father, after looking in front of him, behind him, to the left of him, and to the right of him, started to climb the fence and take some ears of corn. His son looked at him reproachfully and said, Dad, you forgot to look up. In Shakespeare's play Hamlet, Polonius says to his son Laertes, 
to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day. Thou canst not be false to any man. What wonderful counsel. We have a choice. We can either seize the moment and take control of our lives or become mere puppets to our environment and our peers. But any of you watch pornography in the front of your mother, your date, your spouse, your bishop? If it is wrong in the presence of others, it is just as wrong in their absence. The man of integrity who is true to self and to God will choose the right whether or not anyone is looking because he is self-driven, not externally controlled. A lack of integrity is a major problem in the world today. That deficiency undermines every business transaction and every spousal, family, and social relationship it touches. It is a concern of every profession. There are attorneys who bill for hours of service which they never rendered, physicians who recommend surgeries and procedures that were never needed, teachers who fail to prepare lessons but deposit their paychecks just the same, and, unfortunately, politicians whose integrity is governed by popular polls rather than eternal principles. It is a day and age when men and women of integrity are in desperate demand but in short supply. May the integrity of our souls have a sign which reads in bold black letters, not for sale at any price, so that it might be said of us as it was of Hiram Smith, Blessed is my servant Hiram Smith, for I the Lord love him because of the integrity of his heart. We love you for the integrity of your hearts and the purity of your lives. May we all become men and women of integrity, not because we have to, but because we want to. The Lord announced the reward for those who do so. Verily I say unto you, all among them who know their hearts are honest and are willing to observe their covenants by sacrifice, they are accepted of me. May we all be accepted of God because we are striving to become men and women of integrity. I so pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Becoming People of Integrity, with thoughts from Shane M. Bowen and Tad R. Collister. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.